The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastWarm.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you're under will be broken by Chris Jericho. Woo! The People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Woo! Back to the original. A little bit of cowbell working for the weekend. It's not quite talk as Jericho if you got no cowbell, man. We got Bully Ray, a.k.a. Bubba Ray Dudley coming up. Great guy, uh, learned a lot from him about the business, about how to get uh, through the business, about how to get ahead in the business. Known him for a long, long time, ever since my ECW days, way back in 1995. So it's been almost 20 years of stories to discuss with my man, Bully Ray, Bubba Ray, all the names that he has. But before we get started, I just want to give another big thank you to you guys for checking out my sponsors. Supporting them means I get to keep doing this for you twice a week for free. And I really want to keep it that way. I know you know it too. I want you to want me for free. And the easiest way to do that is to go to podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. And click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. That will take you to Talk is Jericho and links to all my sponsors, including Amazon. And all of the Amazon links are there too. U.S., U.K., Amazon, Canada. So again, please go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. Then click on Talk is Jericho to find all of my great sponsors, all right? That's all you got to do. And I wanted to do something special for you. We're going to take a behind-the-scenes tour on the Fozzie Tour Bus. I hooked it all up. We're going to check it out right now. This is Life on the Road here uh, on the Fozzie Bus, sitting outside of... uh, What is this place even called? How do you pronounce it, Josh? Cone Nut. Lake. Really? Conut Lake? Conut. Now, Josh, explain who you are and what you do on this tour. 
My name's Josh. I'm the I'm the tour manager. <laughs> yeah. Now your original nickname was Chuckles because you're a very dry dry guy. Yeah. But we found out that you actually have you're actually pretty funny, uh, very uh, s- almost cynical, sarcastic fellow. I'm shrugging my shoulders right now. You can't see that. <laughs> you remind me of that. What was the name of that comedian that was like really dry? Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. Say this. I bought some batteries, but they weren't included, so I had to buy them again. I bought some batteries, but they weren't included, so I had to buy them again. <laughs> and Josh, what what do you do today? Uh, being the tour manager, what's your uh, what's your uh, plan of attack on the day? Because it's only about what time? It's about one o'clock in the afternoon or so. We go on at 8 o'clock tonight. We've been here since about 10. Uh, my day will consist of getting off the bus and uh, walking aimlessly around to look busy most of the day mm-hmm. and really actually not doing anything. Right. So you have to make sure that like the uh, that our backstage catering is ready, which is basically a case of water. And, and a chicken. A rotisserie <laughs> chicken must chicken. be had by all. Must Frank be. will eat all of it. But yeah. And so okay. I didn't know it was for everybody. I thought it was just for me. Now, do you have to... <laughs> Frank is our drummer who has a real habit of eating our food, but pretending that he didn't know whose food it was, even when it has your name written on it. That's uh, his kind of modus. Let's move it over to, uh, to, to Big Ben over here. People who have been uh, following me on Tweet Secret, the uh, handfuls of you know of Ben from his uh, American food adventures. Ben is from York, England, all the way from the UK. Yes, and America is a dangerous place. It's making me more obese every day. And what if you tell us about your, your your daily diet? What kind of stuff have you been eating here? Uh, meat, followed by some meat, <laughs> and then some more meat that's probably deep fried, and then I'll go for a, a mid afternoon snack of some meat, and then probably finish the day off with some meat. But then you had uh, the best was when we were in that one border place or whatever, what a border place, boardwalk place, and you had fried Oreos. How was that? Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous but fun. This <laughs> is how I can describe hanging around with Chris Jericho. I've never Dangerous heard of that before. Fun. You like the fried foods. I like anything that's probably going to give you heart disease. <laughs> so I made, my, my insides are made of steel, so it's fine. How is it being the only uh, English guy here on on the road with a bunch of Americans and a, and a Canadian? Eh? Has it been fun? It's been like over almost a month now. It's uh, kind of you, being the diamond in the rough, I think. Yeah, you kind of bring class to the whole organization. Yeah, exactly. I mean, being, you know, um, just a wonderful person around a bunch of animals, I suppose. Because <laughs> it is it is pretty cool, like, when we have our sound man comes up. It's, it, like, it gives authority, right? Like, when he's there and some guy who doesn't really know the soundboard or something is, like, talking to you and you answer with an English accent. It's like, this guy must know what he's talking about. He's from England. Well, it really helps me get away with the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing whatsoever. But right. nobody here, including yourself, seems to have realized that yet. So <laughs> I just kind of continue to take money from you and eat all your food. And that kind of is, you know, puts a kind of cloud of of wonderfulness. Of mystery. Yeah. Now, what, do, do the girls, do the chicks dig the accent? Yes, but they don't dig how I look. So uh. that's a kind of... You know, that's an obstacle. But. Well, it's, it's, it's six of one, half dozen of another. Yeah. At least you got that going for you. <laughs> now, what do you do during the show? Tell us your uh, your job. What you do? Not much. <laughs> Again, just kind of look like I know what I'm doing. I have a desk with me, which you know I know if I press some buttons on it, some lights flash and things move. So and sounds I are really eliminated. just kind of hide behind that. So I have everybody else in the venue do the bits that I don't understand how to do, and then stand and smile. 
You're basically uh, the sound man, though, is, is what you're pretending to be. <laughs> yes. When, when we bring you over, your visa says Ben Hammond, sound man. Yes. Right, right. It's probably like kind of... I turn things up very loud. Lack of sound man. sound very nice. So, uh, so we, uh, we watched Live Aid last night from 1985, and we saw some bands. Rich, what was your opinion of some of the bands that we saw, and Ben as well? I thought uh, Hollow Notes was what you would expect, which is awesome. And since it was the 80s, there was... Uh, uh, ample amounts of ridiculous outfits and haircuts and stage moves, but uh, Daryl Hall, one of the greatest American vocalists of all time, and uh, I also love the story you told me about how uh, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it even made me respect him more about how he. Uh, you explain what he did. Yeah, well, he was mad because he said this is bullshit that the only uh, Philadelphia band ever inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was Hall and Oates. But tell us about some of the disappointments that you guys saw yesterday on the show with some of the biggest bands of all time. But as soon as it got to America for the for the Philadelphia part, there was a couple of disappointments, and one of them stands out uh, more than another to me. But who, who was yours? Who was the dude? Well, I mean, uh, couldn't hit the note. Well, well, Black Sabbath was atrocious, and, and we can't, we don't know if it was because it was a one-off, and and maybe there had been some tension backstage, or we don't know. I mean, that's the that's the rough part about being in a, in a band or a sports team or anything. It's all about chemistry, and if chemistry is weird, you could have a rough gig, and the audience is just making it a blanket assumption that it's not good when it could be any number of things going on could be sound on stage is bad which we know was a factor we heard feedback through most of the band sets but judas priest had feedback during most of their set and they were the, the band of the day in the u.s right yeah, pretty much i mean they're one of the best bands uh, of like the band like not not special guests this and this of just like walk out these five guys been playing together for years you could tell chemistry was right uh, their connection with the audience was great song choice was great it's judas priest they don't they don't suck. Now, you'd never heard of the cars before, Ben. Did you get any type of, uh, of feeling about seeing the cars on there? I, no, I never heard of them at all, actually. It kind of passed me by. But did you did you like <laughs> what you saw? Or did you just, it was just like another band for you? It was my, it was another band for me, really. Okay. It's kind of, with, with the whole Live Aid thing, everybody across the board just kind of got schooled by Queen. Yeah, who just utterly destroyed everybody. Yeah, Queen. I'm not even the biggest Queen fan, and it's probably I don't know. It might yeah. be the Qu- Queen. Image. Queen was great, and and U two was was the runners up. And in America, Madonna did good too. She yeah, she was pretty was good great. as well. She's pretty as well. Now, uh, Bilbo Baggins here, Bilbo Shaggins, Billy Gray. Yes. Tell us about the the dinner that we had last night. We were in Beckley, West Virginia, uh, basically right in the middle of the forest. And they brought us uh, a fine collection of food that was very uh, much cooked in uh, grease, as Ben said, st- stale chicken fat, which you thought was what? Uh, what was it? St- what was it? Uh, stale sh- fire. Stale sh- fire, exactly. <laughs> and Frank was the one that really found that out. Once again, Frank's going to regret the fact he's yes. not here. Shanghai surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he he ordered the Shanghai surprise, which, which was uh, a plate of basically like um, fajita style, probably woodchuck meat or something along those lines, dipped in in stale shit, shit fire. fire. It was meat that even I wouldn't eat. Even yeah, even Ben wouldn't eat the meat. Yeah, 
Ben went to me. So he's he's eating this uh, shrimp surprise or Shanghai shrimp Shanghai surprise, surprise, which we said that they're mountain shrimp. Yes, aka grub worms, uh, dug up out of the side of a mountain. <laughs> and I got me some of that shrimp. shrimp. I was right underneath the bushes over there. You just shake them up and put them on a plate, man. Shrimp, a shrimp straight from the holler for you there. <laughs> so Frank, uh, about. Uh, so our intro song is Have a Drink on Me by ACDC, and as soon as it's done, then we walk on stage. And uh, halfway through the solo, Frank grabs a couple of paper towels and goes, I'll be right back. And basically, did you know this, Josh? He basically went into the woods to take a dump. Literally about a minute and a half before the showtime. This is rock and roll, people, because there's, we're on the bus, and the rule on the bus, what's the rule on the bus, Mandy? No pooping in the toilet. Right. Only it's only for number one, no number two. And inside the venue's already full, so you can't go back inside the venue uh, to the to the toilets in the back. So Frank, uh, the classy dr- guy that he is, as the intro is playing, goes into the woods with paper towels. I was quite worried when Josh says, "Where's Frank at?" And the end of the song's coming up. Yeah, it's like literally, it's like the end, the crash and burn, and like Frank has to start the show. And we're looking for him. Magically, he appears through the gate. On time, like and hits seconds, the stage. seconds before uh, hits the before. stage, a new man. And uh, if, if people only knew the uh, the story of how we made it to the stage that night, and all we could hear in the background was from a local mudslide. <laughs> 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 now, uh, Mandy, we got Mandy merch, merch, Mandy, Mandy, the merch girl. Um, getting famous from from taking the uh, the Angry Birds pictures. Now Ben is famous for for make, crunching his face up, his handsome face into uh, what I call a real life Angry Bird. I tried to do it. I looked like really stupid. You tried to do it last night and looked really creepy. It was kind of like a uh, troll that lives under a bridge. <laughs> yeah, troll too, Look. troll part two. And it's like this is your big introduction to the world of Fozzie, and that's what they uh, that's what they saw. I don't know how much merch I'm going to sell tonight. <laughs> yeah, or maybe more because you're famous. Possibly, it could be. <laughs> Let's talk. You got tattoos all over you. This is, you're, you're you're the you're the merch girl. You're doing a great job. Uh, how is it being uh, the only female on this bus of smelly guys? The same way that Ben is the only uh, guy from the UK on this bus of smelly guys. Okay, two. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I just had to go, guys. <laughs> So um, uh, how is it? Like, is, has everyone been nice to you? Do you ever feel like, uh, man, I need to talk to some other girls? Or I do enjoy when the wives come around, but I will have to say out of all the bands I've worked for in 10 plus years, you guys are the best. Wow. That's pretty nice. And why is that? <laughs> yeah, Josh may think you're horrible, but uh, it's just the, the camaraderie with everybody around here. It's a family. It's not foreign to me. Cool, so. cool. Yeah, we, we've really done a good job of eliminating all the... Uh, bad apples in this camp over the last few years uh, speaking of bad m- apples there's mikey back to the guitar tech say hi mikey hi. i'd ask you some questions but you're so damn boring it doesn't matter anyways <laughs> 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 so what is your uh i mean what did your uh your, your family or your friends think when you told them you're going to be a merch girl and go on the road with guys uh, my family was kind of uneasy about it at first, but the very first tour I ever did, uh, my dad came out and I'm a daddy's girl and, uh, he met the guys I was touring with and that was enough. He mm-hmm. realized that I had seven or eight big brothers that would do anything for me. So right. It made it a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, and that's the attitude, right? We're all a big family on this bus Absolutely. and you have to be when you're on the submarine, as Zach Wilde mm-hmm. says. Now, Rich, uh, how's your tour been so far? Amazing. It's been a great tour. The crew's been great. So that's like the key to making things easy the tour manager josh he basically his 
his major role is to be an emotional tampon for us. Basically, everything <laughs> has to be filtered through him so that by the time it gets to us, it's all clean and sanitized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if the building's burning down, our equipment was stolen, he tells us a story. Guys, here's the deal. Um, the show's been delayed. It's been delayed, and the gear is being polished at a local shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's been delayed due to lack of local advertising funds. Right. But he's he's great in that, that dry Stephen Wright humor. Uh, he'll throw in a strange off-color joke that I don't really know what it means. But it, it makes him happy, though. It makes him really happy because yeah. he'll do a slight smile and... And then and and Mandy does great. Our numbers are always great at merch, and plus it's cool having a chick who yeah I like I like the, the nose. Well, yeah, I, I like her look. I like her look too. She looks like a rock chick. You got a good vibe. Good for our VIPs as well. Yep. You know, absolutely. and Josh Josh's demeanor is good for a tour manager. Let me ask you a quick question, Josh. Um, so they, sometimes you know, the, the the rumor is always that the lead singer is the prima donna of the band. It's uh, true. LSD lead singer. These. What's the most prima donna thing that I've done so far in this tour that you're like, oh, give me a break. Who is this guy? I think he is. Has Pro- there been probably one? yelled at Frank about eating chicken? <laughs> oh, eating my chicken! <laughs> <laughs> I vote last night when I flipped out because there was a plate of beans, and you were like, "Oh, just leave it." I'm like, "Get rid of it! It's grossing me out." It was a really nice plate, though. It was probably about a twenty dollars plate that could have been taken home and been a very lovely addition to well, a could house. We, could we have not taken it to a local stream or creek and washed the beans off of it? I don't want to see dried baked beans. I didn't want to end up with my teeth missing like the rest of them. See, but that's one of my lead singer things. I don't want food. Post shitting in the woods, then washing out some half naked, washing out some bowl of beans in a river. After, All right, he, Frank, after yeah. he ate the beans, <laughs> but it wouldn't have been out of out of context in that area. It's like there's just four or five people washing their pots and pans. That's true, right? Washing out my beans. And Frank too. Another was of his famous moments was uh, the uh, bought a pizza. I had a couple pieces. Brought the rest on the bus for the boys. Uh, Frank is going trying to not eat carbs, so he just scrapes the topping off the pizza. That's no 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 problem, except for he scraped the top off of all four remaining pieces and then left the crusts in the box. So later on that night, after we'd been watching, I opened the box for a nice last piece of pizza, and of course there was just this ravaged piranha stricken piece of dough uh, in the. I didn't know it was anybody's. I thought it was for everyone. And by everyone, I mean me. Me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, cool. Just a little bit of a life behind the scenes here on the Fozzie bus outside of Conut. Conut? Okay, why not? Conut Lake. Uh, And uh, so we're going to be doing our listening party tonight, Idle Hands in New York City. If you uh, are in the area, I'm just reading the last few dates, and we got... Huntington, New York, the Paramount, that's Long Island on Friday, May 30th. And Saturday, May 31st, the last day of this leg of the tour at Xfinity Live, Philadelphia, PA. So uh, thanks from Fozzie and all the crew. And on three, we're all going to say, yeah, boy, together. One, two, three. Yeah, boy! There you go. A little behind-the-scenes info of all the cast of characters on the Fozzie crew and the Fozzie band. Uh, it becomes your family when you're on the submarine, as my boy Zach Wild would say. And my boy Bully Ray is coming up at first. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Talk is Jericho. All right. On the line. Long time friend for over 15 years. I got Bully Ray in here right now. Came in live in the studio, drove in all the way from uh, Daytona just to hang out with us today. Hell's Excuse Kitchen, me. actually. Hell's Kitchen. That's a long right. drive. Sorry. It's a long drive from Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> hey, yo, hey, how you doing? Yep. You walked in. Hey, how you doing? The old New York thing. Is that your black car out there? It is. That's your zero one. Yeah. I got my SRT8 out there. Oh. After we're done, <laughs> we might have to wrestle here. for pinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you get when you're uh, the champion, uh, the, the world heavyweight champion. You're making the big bucks, dude. Are you still? Are you still? <laughs> are you still TNA champion? No, no. Okay, but no. You, but you were. I I'm, was. I uh, I was twice. Okay, twice. but it was an, it was uh, it was a nice little. Run. Well, I got to tell you, man. I mean, it, and I've said this to you a bunch of times, but it's been a while since we talked face to face. I mean, I was really impressed about your whole transformation from being in one of the most famous tag teams. I'm sure you would say the most fa- famous tag team of all time. To becoming a, a, a very distinguished singles wrestler and becoming the TNA World Champion and completely changing your image, you know, you 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 you've you've got like bigger and you've lost weight and you came up with a whole new concept and a whole new attitude and it really worked. I mean, how how was that for you? You know, just jumping right in, changing from something you had done for so long to something new. Well, I'll try to take you back to like my initial thought process and every, how everything went down. After me and Devon had basically done everything that you could possibly do in tag team wrestling and winning every title and wrestling everywhere in the world, and we kind of sat back and you know realized there's, there was nothing left to do. Right. So it was it was time to to put it to bed and you know go off and try to do it on our own. It was time to take off the makeup, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that one day down the road, we'd eventually put the makeup, you know, on one last time. So it's time to take off the makeup, see what we can do on our own. And I knew from, you know, watching tag teams of the past that to come out of a successful and established tag team where you're so synonymous with one another, you know, like the Road Warriors, it's kind of hard to you know, become successful on your own. People know you for that established act, that established entity. So the first thing I knew I had to do is I said, I'm going to change the way I look. I said, because that will shock the people more than anything else. I was never going to be on the cover of, uh, you know, uh, you know, muscle and fitness. Although I did tell you about 10 years ago that I got into a bad car accident and I <laughs> posing for the Olympia. Do you even remember that? I, I do, what was, oh, yeah. I told you I had a pituitary problem and I almost made the Olympia. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And you got in a car accident. I got into a bad car accident. I was bugging you about being hefty or whatever it was. You can never say that Bubba was fat. That's not a good word. No, he, was, no. he was He was no. big boned. Exactly. Yeah. Dreamer's fat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, I knew um, to shock the people and to get them to notice me really quick if I did a body transfer. So I just did it the old school way. I hit the gym hard. I dieted real hard. I lost about 100 pounds. I've gotten into the best shape that I ever got into. And then I said, once I can do this and slowly, you know, change my body over, I'm just going to go back to the persona that I know works. And I didn't reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. I took bad guy 101. (laughs) All I did was take Bubba Ray Dudley from ECW and bring him to TNA and change his name to Bully Ray. <laughs> and that's it. It's what you see is what you get. I'm not I'm not trying to do, you know, I talk a certain way, my voice sounds a certain way, I have a hard edge, you know, what you see in the ring and in real life as mo- most people as you know is really the same damn thing. <laughs> so it wasn't hard to be a character because I'm not a character. Mm-hmm. I'm just me. And as you well know, whenever you're just you in a ring, 
it works. Well, yeah, you, the, the best characters are your real personalities just turned up to, to 11, you know. But, I mean, the thing that was smart that you did, and it's something that I always did, and it's a subtle thing. A lot of guys don't do this. Whenever I turned from heel to babyface, I would change something. Uh, look, hair, costume, get up. A lot of guys don't do that, and people subtly don't understand that there's been a change. You did it all the way. Boom, you kind of got the black vest, and you, like you said, you got into the best shape of your life. You took it seriously, and when, when you do that, the fans understand that this is new. No doubt. And, uh, you know, you're probably, I mean, you come and go a lot. You probably come and go more than most guys do in the past five years of wrestling, right? Yeah, probably, yeah. And every time you you leave, you do it in a way where, okay, you leave on, a, a, a quote-unquote, a good terms, and then when you come back, it's like, Holy crap! You even you you're even like the master of you know making people think you're coming back, not coming back. They get they talk about you, the subliminal you know vignettes that they shoot on you, yeah. and then you show up with the you know the jacket that's a million colors, and then you don't say a word out there. All of that stuff is so new and innovative, and you do it so many times. And I've only had to do it once or twice now, but this past time really worked, and it worked to a point where. I'm proud to say that I think I got myself to be the most hated guy in the business over the past three years. And when I say most hated, I mean legitimate, what we call in the business, heat. Mm -hmm. Not canned, okay, you're the bad guy, I have Mm -hmm. to boo for you, heat. Legitimate heat. You had that in the past. You've always had that. I remember in ECW, that's one thing that you had to change when you came to the WWEs. You couldn't go out there and just cut these horrible, scathing promos on the poor fans in the crowd to where it was like, felt almost bad for them you know you'd be like talking about how this guy can't protect his woman or he's a you know he's whatever you would say i can't even say them on the show yeah, no <laughs> but you've always had that 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 edge to you but this time like you said you really embraced it because i remember in the wwe when vince had the the the, the bright idea where he didn't want tag teams anymore he split everybody up and he split you up but you didn't do this you didn't change your character, your gimmick, and maybe you weren't allowed to. I, I wasn't know. allowed to. I okay. really didn't have uh, any say. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the night that Vince pulled me and Devon on the side when he was going to do the Raw and SmackDown draft, and he said, I'm going to break you guys up. I'm going to split you up. And I, we were like, that's really not a good idea. And he goes, no, I need to shake up this draft, and if I draft you guys and, and break up the team, you know, people will talk about it. And, you know, me and Devon were respectfully against it and mm-hmm. he goes well well give me one good reason why you don't think you know it'll work and i said with all due respect nobody wanted to see hawk and animal wrestle by themselves mm-hmm. i'm not comparing us to the road warriors because in my opinion that's the greatest tag team of all time but i never would pay a ticket to see hawk wrestle by himself even if he was wrestling flair for the world heavyweight championship because i knew damn well he wasn't going to win mm-hmm. so um the the splitting up of the dudleys in wwe on their terms did not work mm-hmm. because to me it was forced Mm-hmm. The splitting up of us in TNA, I, I I knew was right because there was nothing left to do. Mm-hmm. We were gonna we were gonna become extinct just because there was nobody left to work with. But when you were split up, you weren't told, okay, we're gonna groom you to be the world champion. You took advantage no. of the, you took the ball and ran with it. Old school. You you, you take it. You know, I, I, you know, in wrestling we have this thing called the push, where you know creative is going to you know you know put the ball in your hand and you know run with mm-hmm. you. I, mm-hmm. I I took the ball myself. You did. I, I've, I've, that's what we've always done, though. You, you go out there and you force them to run with you. You give them no choice. Mm-hmm. You make the people boo louder or cheer louder than anybody else to the point where they have to go. They have to just, uh, you know, 
Yeah. Give you give you the ball, give you the belt, and, and let you be the A guy on the show. Even to the point where you're in the ring doing promos with Hogan, and I thought maybe you guys would even have a match, but I don't know if Hulk was, was able to or, or could do it physically, but... I mean that's pretty cool. I mean, I mean Hulk is Hulk, but still the fact that you're in the ring, kind of carrying the the, the show as the the most hated guy. You're dating his daughter. You're banging his daughter. You're getting in under his skin. I mean that's that's big time, man. It was it was awesome, and it it was the main storyline along with the Aces and H. You know those two stories kind of you know ran together. And to be in the ring with him and work with him was cool because listen. At the end of the day, he's Hulk Hogan. He's the Babe Ruth of our industry, right. and being in the ring with him is cool. You know, um, I'll never forget walking out of the Nassau Coliseum, right around the block from where you were born. Uh, <laughs> Man has uh, it. Yep. <laughs> WrestleMania three. I went to go see Hogan and Andre on closed circuit TV at the Nassau Coliseum, and I remember walking to the parking lot and telling my dad and my uncle, you know, that's going to be me one day. I'm going to be in the ring with Hulk Hogan one day. I'm going to be at WrestleMania one day. And my uncle looked at me and he said, Mark, why don't you just shut your mouth and get in the car? (laughs) (laughs) So so to have the opportunity to work with Hulk and, you know, the end result was we were supposed to have a match. And me and Hulk had talked about this match on several different um, occasions. And he felt totally comfortable with me because I knew I could custom tailor the match to exactly what he needed Mm -hmm. and it just didn't happen i guess it didn't happen for his physical reasons and also business reasons within Mm -hmm. tna Mm -hmm. so but it would have been great to be able to have one match with him oh absolutely and to be in the ring with him and to be able to go back and forth on the microphone and you know there are not many guys and i'm not trying to be an egomaniac when i say this there are not many guys on the microphone who when i'm talking with or two that raise my game yes he made me raise my game you know so that's important to me well i I worked with him in 2002 when he first came back to the wwe and it was a blast because first of all for the i guess mark reasons or fanboy reasons oh my gosh it's hulk hogan but beyond that when he got the trust, I'm sure he had it with you to know this guy knows what he's doing. Then suddenly I'm calling the match. Then I'm telling him what to do. And he is a great, great worker in that he knows the crowd. He's, he's the ultimate babyface. He was so easy to work with. And you guys you guys could have had a match easily. Easily, yeah. easy. Even if he, all he could do is stand there and punch you, that's all you need. Because you know what you're doing. And you, you just brought up something that is so true. Once he gains that trust with you, mm-hmm. he's very comfortable in putting the ball in your court because he knows you're going to help to even elevate him more. That's right. Get him over more. And, and and it worked. Every time me and Hulk were out there, whether it was me and Hulk, me and Brooke, or even we even threw Sting in there. Whenever we were out there, it was the highest rated quarter hours or the minute by minutes on TNA over the past, you know, whatever. And, you know, I know TNA's ratings are not, you know, the same as, you know, WWE's or through the roof, but they're, they're pretty good for what they are. And we were the highest rated stuff. So, it, it, you know, it meant a lot well, to me. And that's what you got to do when you're, when you're bringing the guys in kind of the, I don't even know how you want to say the legends, you know, Sting and Hogan and those type of guys. The only way that it works for me as a fan, because I'm still a fan, is if you put them with with younger guys that mm-hmm. could shake it up. I don't want to see Hogan and Sting work ever again. I'd love to see Hogan versus versus Bully Ray or Sting versus Bully Ray. Um, and, and that's kind of, I mean, how is it now? I mean, when, when Hulk first came into TNA, it was a big brouhaha. And now, of course, Hulk has gone back to WWE. Has it left a big hole for TNA or is it causing other people to have to step in, step up? No, I don't think it's, it's caused a big hole at all. I think it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, he's split. That's it. He's gone. 
he was on TV with TNA probably more than he should have been, mm-hmm. and he was taking up a lot of prime real estate where younger right. guys could have been. I be- if, if I was writing a show, you know, Hulk would be you know in one story, and he would be on the show one time, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. we can feature him, you know, give the people their Babe Ruth, and you know that's it. There were a lot of times where Hulk was on for a lot of segments. I think him being gone has opened up the door financially for TNA to bring in you know newer talent. Um, getting back to Sting for one second. I wrestled Sting three or four times, and I mean that was awesome mm-hmm. because he stepped up his game yes. in the ring physically. Like, uh, like I didn't, you know, he's fifty three, fifty four years old, and you know, as you know, my level of physicality in the ring, especially when you know it's live TV and pay per view, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring it. And he never backed down. He's a true old school salty veteran who could not only hang with me physically, but hang with me on the mic. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoyed wrestling him and fighting him. That's one thing I respect about Sting. You know, he, he could just show up and do what a lot of guys in WCW did and just collect a paycheck because he's a legendary figure. But he always works hard from, from, from what I've seen. I mean, when he's motivated, he will go. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, I mean, you've been in TNA for, for a long time now. I think it was 2005 or six when you debuted. You've almost become kind of one of the leaders there, I'm sure, in the locker room, in the ring, on the show. How was it for you just to, I mean, when you came in there, it was a, a kind of a new company, and now you're, you're, building, you're building this company, and it's on the backs of guys like you. I mean, is that is a lot of responsibility? Do you feel that, a lot of pressure? I don't feel it's like on the – I don't feel it's on my back um, – I don't feel this. I compare TNA to ECW a lot. ECW is my company. That's mm. the company that was on my back and Dreamer's back and Taz's back and Sabu's back. You know, um, TNA is more to me on Samoa Joe's back and Bobby Roode's back and, you know, and, and James Storm's back and, you know, Magnus is back. Those guys now, it, they're the 30 somethings. Those are the young studs of the wrestling business who need to carry their company to you know to the next level Mm -hmm. those guys are the you know to the workhorses and i'm there to help get them there i'm there to be featured in roles that hopefully can get more eyes on the product and i'll also be the first one to say if they can't do it screw you then i'll take that you know i'm gonna take it from you Mm -hmm. you know uh and 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 i'll be the guy that gets featured see but the thing is you mentioned that the 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 young studs the business and that's important but you have done the same thing that I did, and once again, not to be egotistical, but you realized, okay, I'm getting near middle age or getting older. I can't continue on like this. Like, I lost 30 pounds. You lost 100 pounds. Uh, change your look. Change your gimmick. And still now more relevant than you've ever been and, and, and contributing at the highest level that you have in your career. So, I mean, that's a smart move. And once again, a lot of guys don't do that. They, they continue just doing the same thing they've always done. You've rejuvenated yourself. You've put an extra 10 years on your career now. I I feel great. I really do. Um, I think I have a lot left in me, especially in the ring. I I pride myself in being able to go out there with anybody, whether it's a younger guy, older guy, whatever, and work to their level Mm -hmm. and speed up when I need to speed up, slow down, tell a great story. Because as we both know, you know, I I don't want to have a five-star match. Mm -hmm. You can take your five-star match and you can shove it. I want to have a 5-0 match. And what I mean by five zero is I, I well I want five zeros on the paycheck <laughs> when I get the bonus. That's the kind of match I want to have. So uh, uh, you know you know you know the we both know the importance of st- storytelling through a match. I want to take those people on an emotional roller coaster, and that's what I really enjoy to do. Like working with a guy like AJ Styles, who 
you know, the uh, the Internet community or the, uh, you know, the uh, the smart marks, so to speak, you know, love AJ because he can do all this flippy fly stuff and everything. But you take a guy like that who has more athletic ability than I do and can do all this cool stuff and then show him where to place everything so it means more and mm-hmm, then tell mm-hmm. a story within that match. Mm-hmm. He's more over than, he, you know, than he'll ever be. Right. And, you know, all those spots that you do, people quickly forget about them. Now, instead of, you know, popping for a spot, now they're emotionally invested in AJ. Yeah. And, and I'm, 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 you know, no, but talking to you about this. You, you know what I'm talking about. But it's interesting, though, and this is something that I, I noticed even when, when, for example, when Jeff Jarrett went to WCW when he came in, he worked at a different level than most of the guys, just like Hall and Nash did, because they had WWE training. They had Vince training. I remember WCW, everyone was always looking at the camera. Jarrett would never do that. He looked like more of a star because that was one of Vince's rules. Do not look into the camera. Uh, you know, you have that training from years and years of working for Vince. And there is, I mean, you'd always hear the WWE style, the WWE style. There is a distinct WWE style, and it's the best in the world. So when, okay. you, when you come to TNA, you can use all your experience from that to help guys that haven't, haven't worked in the WWE and, and learn that kind of pacing. Without a doubt. And I, I consider myself so lucky because... The three most uh, most influential minds on me throughout my career, Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon, and Pat Patterson, yeah. you know, I got to learn from these guys, along with all of the other guys that, you know, gr- great minds that I got to learn from. But those are the three that really stick out to me. And to be able to take that knowledge, that wisdom, use it for myself, and then pass it down to guys who really, really want to learn it. I'm pretty protective of the knowledge I pass down to the younger guys because some guys I just think mm-hmm. they're going to just you know wipe their butt with it or, or not use it or they, you know, for all the wrong reasons. But a guy like Bobby Roode, one of my, you know, one of my mm-hmm. better friends mm-hmm. you know, in the company, who, who, uh, you know, we're, he's always asking questions. He always wants to learn more. And you know, to me, he's one of the best guys out there right now. Yeah, I you know? agree. So, yes, to, to be able to take all that knowledge that we learned in the WWE um, and then pass it down to guys. It's, it's how, how awesome is Pat Patterson? He's the best. Yeah, he's the best. I mean, I remember, I remember one day, me, you, and uh, and Christian, we had we had sat there for hours on end, saying, "Okay, we're going to come up with a match, and then we're going to go talk to Pat about it." And we tried to figure every single objection that Pat would have. <laughs> no, he's going to say this. He's going to say we should have did it this way, or you know what? So after hours and hours, we think we've put the perfect tag match together. And we went to go see Pat, and he's sitting in the stands, and he's smoking a cigarette in the arena. <laughs> when you're not his, supposed to, <laughs> he's got his he's got his legs crossed, and we you know we you know we bounce it off Pat. We're going to do this, 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 and that. And he took a drag of his cigarette. He looked up into the air. He blew out the smoke, and he said, "That's good." But what if you did it this way? <laughs> and we all looked at each other like. How in the hell did he figure that out in less than 10 seconds? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he was right. <laughs> he is, um, Pat's uh, like, uh, he's in his 70s now, and he started working years ago in like San Francisco area. He was a great worker, and he's been working for Vince for, I don't know, 35, 40 years. And he's Vince's right hand man, not so much anymore, but definitely the smartest guy that I learned from, you learned from, Rock, you learned from, all of the, all of the best guys from our time period. Because Pat just saw things differently, like 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 Bully just said, and uh, I still remember he knows Vince too. When you when you had something that 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 you know maybe what does he say? It, it's the chocolate and vanilla. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
So, uh, you know, he would say, you know, you know, I sit there, I argue with Vince. We're writing the TV, and he do, he wants to do it one way, and I want to do it the other way. And he <laughs> likes chocolate, and I like vanilla. But you know, at the end of the day, he owns the ice cream shop. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Pat kind of went to like this old Jewish <laughs> deli owner. At the end of the day, he's got the shvelka. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, some days it's chocolate, some days it's vanillas, but he owns the ice cream shops. <laughs> yeah, he, we we all learned so much from him, and once again, that's one of the reasons why you know you can take. I see things when I when I go back to the WWE, as I'm sure you do. You just see things differently. Like I can watch a match and go, ah, I would put this, this, and that's the Pat Patterson influence. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. You know, um, and I, like I said, I'm so grateful for uh, you know being able to be in a company with a guy like Pat for six years or, you know, I, I spent six years in WWE and, you know, learning from Pat and learning from Vince, especially Vince. There are so many lessons I learned from him one-on-one, mm-hmm. not in a group of people like him pulling me on the side and and teaching me something specifically, you know, to be a wrestler and have Vince McMahon pull you on the side and teach you something specifically is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. To me, it is. At least, well, it's, you know? it's, it's the ultimate goal. So, you know, learning so much. And then obviously Paul, which to me, just, you know, the Dr. Frankenstein, the mm-hmm. David Koresh, the evil genius of pro wrestling, yes. uh, who I can't even put into words. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if you even bothered watching, you know, the, the night in Chicago uh, with Punk when Punk was supposed to show back up. Yes. Okay. It was genius, man. N- there is nobody. You know what? I bet you you could do it. I bet you I could do it. I bet you we could. There's a select few that can diffuse. 15,000 rabid wrestling fans. Rabid Chicago CM Punk fans. Correct. That were, there was even a, a Twitter uh, uh, address going around called Hijack yep. WWE or Hijack Chicago, whatever it was. People were going out there to spoil the show. Yep. They were going to chant CM Punk the whole time until he got there. They sent out Paul, Paul Heyman as the first guy out there. They play Punk's music. And have Paul come out, and by the time he was done, they were they wanted to see Brock versus Undertaker. It was it, it, it's it's genius, it's masterful. It is the ultimate in manipulation of a wrestling fan's <laughs> mind. Yeah, they think they're so smart, but when you truly have somebody who knows what they're doing, we can take you on any emotional ride. Yes. we want to That's take right. you on. It's the way we word things. It's the inflection in our voice. You think what we want you to think. You will never control us in the ring. It's the ultimate master of puppets, and oh, that's what yeah. the best guys do. I remember Brett said, you know, uh, the crowd doesn't tell me what to do. I tell the crowd what to do. Yep. If people are chanting boring, it's like, well, guess what? It's going to get a lot more boring because I'm in control. Yeah. And that's what you can see with guys with that old school, uh, or not even just old school, just the right education in the business and the right instincts. Sure. You know, and the experience, sure. you know, which a lot of guys don't have now. And you can see a lot of guys today, whether it's WWE or TNA, if the crowd gets, you know, a little too edgy, you mm-hmm. can just, you can watch on their face how the people will get to them. That's right. You know, you're the performer. You're, they're paying to see you. There's no way in hell that they should ever get under your skin. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it, like you mentioned learning from Vince and having Vince teach you things. And that's the, the number one rule I learned from him is that, you know, you control the ebb and flow. When you're a heel, you never make a mistake. If you flub up your promo, it's not a flub up. You're just so flustered at these people in the crowd, you can't even think straight anymore. That's yeah. You know, and and he always said to me too, it's like I'm not just trying to teach you wrestling lessons. I'm trying to teach you life lessons. Damn it! And you know that guy really. You know, you talk about uh, kind of the cliche term is Vince McMahon is a genius, and he is a genius. True. To, to whereas you know you put Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen, and he quits. 
okay, you can put Steve Vai in there, or Zach Wilde in there. They can play the notes maybe, but it's not the same. It's not the genius of Van sure. Halen who's once in a lifetime. And when Vince passes away, because that's the only way he's going to stop working in the WWE, it's going to be a hard transition, and it's going to be – you can't replace him. The company's going to be different. He And I he, he said this to somebody in an agent meeting, and I quote, you can do stupid effing ideas like that when you pry this company from my cold, <laughs> dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. Talk to my old friend, Bully Ray. Uh, so many great stories. It's funny how we're able to just talk for, for half an hour and not even really uh, delve into much yeah. about you, just discussing the business. But, I mean, there's you mentioned... Uh, before how how you went to see WrestleMania three at closed circuit, which is so funny, closed circuit like such a archaic yeah. concept. I did the same. You you would go to, for 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 the young listeners. You would go to the arena and you would just basically watch the show on a big movie screen. Yeah, and that was it. Yep, and then everyone would leave, and that was kind of how it was pre pay per view. Fifteen thousand so, people 15, in an arena to watch. Hit movie screens. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and you'd cheer along and, and all that sort of thing. But so obviously you've been a wrestling fan your whole life. Yes. Um, was it always your goal to to be a wrestler? I wanted to do three things when I was a kid. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a rock star, <laughs> and I wanted to be a porn star. <laughs> I've done two out of the three, and since Meatloaf already cornered the market on the three hundred pound lead singer, I figured I'd scrap that idea. I wasn't aware that you were a porn star. I've been I've I've been involved in the adult film industry. Yes, I have. When? Back in the day. Listen, my rib <laughs> on the wrestling business is Rob Black. No, it, Rob Black with the promoter that's also a porn <laughs> yeah. director or whatever. I brought Rob Black into pro wrestling. I brought Rob Black into pro wrestling. I brought Jasmine St. Clair into pro wrestling. Those people came into uh, those dirty people came into <laughs> our dirty business because of me. <laughs> Back in the day, I was in the porn business. What do you want? I met Rob Black and uh, I was doing a, a show in Rochester in ECW and we met up and he was he owned a, a big porn company out in LA and he was a huge wrestling fan and I was a big porn fan and I said, he's like, oh man, I would love to be involved with wrestling. I said, oh, I'd love to direct some porn. <laughs> Next week we were doing it. <laughs> so you've directed some porn. W- yep. Is there any titles you can uh, tell us? I don't think I can say them on the, on the air. No. <laughs> but it's pretty funny because uh, um, he said to me, he goes, you can have any star you want, any porn star you want, you name her, and I will get her for you so you can direct her. And I said, I want Ron Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you That's, get him? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wow! See, I didn't even know this yeah. about you. I traveled the roads with you yep. for years. I never knew you were in, you're, you're in so, the porn business. Yep. And obviously, the rock star thing—it's like you're you're you know <laughs> yeah. you're like you're like my idol. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never been in the porn business, sadly. So it works both ways. So, uh, how did you get uh, into the business? 
I always wanted to be a pro wrestler. I mean, I, I, my, and here's the, here's the cool thing about me being involved in a tag team. My first memories of pro wrestling are the Wild Samoans, Gurria and Martel, Fuji and Saito, hmm. uh, the Strongbows. Um, that's what I was watching on WOR Channel 9, you know, back in New York when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was always more exciting with four guys in a ring than two. It was mm-hmm. double the action. And I remember as a kid, I would take my uh, my cassette player and I would tape myself being the commentator, <laughs> the manager, and cutting the wrestler's promos. <laughs> and I would call the two out of three falls matches between the Strongbows and Fuji and Saito and all that stuff. And so I really, really knew the first thing I wanted to do is be a pro wrestler. Mm. And um, then... I bought Kiss Alive too, opened it up. You know, that's back in the day with you know when it was on vinyl. Yeah, and you know the huge double album, and you just opened it up, and it was the it was the uh, the stage set from what yes. was it seventy six seventy seven yeah destroyer the love love gun tour. love gun okay, and you just look at that as a kid, and you're like it blew your mind. What the hell is this? And I can visualize exactly what you're talking about. You would open it up, and it was just like yeah. fire and stairs and lights. I, I, I was I was in amazement, and I and I turned to my grandmother, and I went, Grandma, look at this, and she said, That's the devil. Put that away. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, Grandma, that's right, James Dio. (laughs) We have a great Dio story, actually. You probably have more than me, but I I have one cool Dio story. Um, So uh, uh, Kiss Alive 2 and, you know, always knew I wanted to be uh, involved in rock and roll because I just just love it so much. Mm -hmm. So uh, actually, funny story, I remember... When Fozzie first started, you were playing in, I don't remember the town you were in. This is like 10 years ago. You were playing in Kansas City or something. Yeah. And uh, I came to the show and a bunch of other guys came to the show and you uh, you played Livewire because, you, you know, I don't know if you had it in your set, but you played it anyway. played it sometimes. You played it for you. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a huge crew fan. So you guys played Livewire and you invited me up. You're like, hey, Bubba, you want to come sing this with me? I was like, yeah, this will be great. So I was so amped to sing live wire with you. I, you know, I'm about to, you know, you know, sing it. And I take the microphone, I raise it up to my mouth and I did it so hard that I pop myself in the mouth with the microphone and I chip my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> that happens all the time, man. Sometimes if you stand on the mic stand that pops back in your face, I get bloody lips, chipped teeth, the whole thing. What's the deal story? Is it the one we went in Phoenix or what? what happened? Yeah. In Phoenix, I'll never forget after, uh, after um, we, we it was me and you, and actually Hunter and Stephanie were That's there right. also. And it was Dio, Maiden, and Motorhead the night before SummerSlam, like in two thousand three or four in Phoenix. Correct. And we had we had um, uh, tickets. We, we were standing in the photographer's pit. Yes, so right on the stage. You could not get any closer. You yeah, know, any closer we would have been on stage. So we go and. Uh, we go and, you know, uh, Motorhead op- opens up. So after Motorhead was done, we went backstage to hang out with a couple of the guys because Phil Campbell, yeah. right? He was a big fan yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And Lemmy's been involved with yeah. Hunter for years. Sure. So we're hanging out. And my first story is just remembering us being in Lemmy's dressing room. And Lemmy has a white towel wrapped around his head like a turban, <laughs> takes off his shirt, takes off his pants. And there's Lemmy standing in his tidy whiteies. <laughs> Well, we're there just trying to have normal conversation. Like, yeah, Chris, that was uh, that was really cool when they played Killed by Death. He's in his underwear. Yeah. I mean, he's in his underwear. So, uh, and then right before Dio went out, I don't know if you remember this, Dio came up to us and he's like, Chris, Bubba, how are you? Thank you for coming to the show. Can I get you a glass of red wine? Yes. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Ronnie James Dio, all 
four foot ten of yeah. them, just asked us if we'd like a glass of red wine. Like he was the most hospitable, super nice guy, nice yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the who is the keyboard player? The guy's <laughs> name was Scott Warren. Yeah, is, yeah. He comes up to me and you. I don't even know if you remember. He goes, hey, guys, my daughter is a really big fan. You know, can I please get some autographs of my daughter? And me and you were like, no problem, whatever you need. You know, we signed the autographs. And then he turns around and he goes, hey, do you guys want my autograph? <laughs> and he was serious. As <laughs> serious as the day is long. And we were like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you want to make him feel bad. But then beyond that, I went to take a picture with Ronnie, with, with Dio, and I had the wine that he gave me. And when I put my arm around him, my hand tilted, and I spilled red That's wine right. on him. Remember? Spilled. Actually, no, I don't remember. You know why I don't remember? Why? Because in 2005 in Las Vegas, I got a really, really bad concussion. So I don't remember things like that, which is a perfect segue into, gee, Bubba, how'd you get that concussion? <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish the story. I poured red wine on Dio, and then he's like, "Oh," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Dio." He's like, "Ah, it's no problem, no problem." And he's like, "He's like, he's okay with it." But I'm like, "Oh, I'm, I'm so happy. I thought you were gonna put a curse on me." He goes, "How do you know I won't?" And he made the sign of the devil, and, like the, the Italian, like the Maloik, yeah, the Maloik. And, and then he's like, "Ah, I was like, Dio just cursed me." But, That's great. So how did you get a concussion, Baba? <laughs> Well, Chris, <laughs> the reason I don't remember certain stories as the one you just told of the red wine is mm-hmm. if you were a better athlete and you were a better worker. Are you, you talking to me or are you saying this no, just in general? To, I'm talking to your producer over there. I'm talking to you. Nick, you damn it. You screwed up again. <laughs> 2005 in the uh, Thomas and Mack Center. Yeah, in Las in, Vegas. In Vegas. We're doing TLC whatever. It was a spin the wheel uh, raw night roulette. at Raw Roulette. Raw yeah. Roulette. And one of the spots we were going to do is you were going to give me the bulldog off the top of the ladder. Right. And because you're not really good. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I spiked your head into the. You spiked my head into the mat and it's the worst concussion of my life. Yeah, it was it was bad, man. And I remember uh, there was so much like TLCs. They're so uh, involved and it's 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 like a big chain. Where one, it's the one type of match where you basically have to call the majority of it in the back. Everything. You know, everything, because there's so many moving parts and elements. And the chain at that point was you were, I uh, gave you the bulldog and then you were down for a bit and some other stuff happened. And then eventually you were supposed to start walking up, uh, climbing up the ladder with, I can't remember if it was Rob or, or whoever it was. So I'm looking at you and I'm like, Baba. And you're just out in space, just lost. Like, you're like, huh? You gotta climb the ladder, and your greatest response was, "How do you climb a ladder?" <laughs> yep. And I was like, "Just put one foot on the <laughs> bottom rung and put another foot on top of it." And you're just like, you just blank eyed staring. You're like, "Okay," and off you went to climb the ladder, and just moving on instinct, basically at this point. And the other two things that happened, and you actually told me this. A couple of the other guys told me was, you told me to go take the van te- van daminator. Yeah, and I said, "From who?" Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I had no idea who yeah. did a van daminator, and then you told me to. Uh, go up and do the bubble bomb, and I said, "How?" That's right. Yeah. Didn't even know how to do my own move. I, but the crazy part about it is, when I go back and watch that TLC today, watching you tell me everything and then executing it the way we did, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy how you go on autopilot. Yeah, and dude, my brains were destroyed. Yeah, you were messed up, night. man. Destroyed to the part where point where wound up going to told Vince to f off that night. Yeah. Remember, they couldn't get me in the hot in the into the yes. ambulance. Yes. So I wound up telling Vince and Hunter to, you know, go F themselves. 
And I got to the hospital, and here's how crazy this concussion was. Dreamer and Spike come to the hospital with me. Mm-hmm. And we're in, the, we're in, I guess, the waiting room. And I said to Tommy, I go, Tommy, where's my mom and yes. dad? And he looked at me like real weird, and he goes, well, your dad is back home in Long Island, and your mom passed away, you know, Mm -hmm. like last year. And I started crying like a baby Mm. because, you know, it was like the first time I was hearing my mom had passed away. Yeah. Well, about five minutes later, I looked at Tommy and said, Tommy, where's my mom and dad? They told me that about 50 to 60 times I asked the same question about my mom and dad, and I had the same response every single time. And the funny part about this whole thing about my mom passing away is that you were my mom's favorite wrestler. Yeah, I remember you told me that. She would always be like, Mark, is Chris going to be there tonight? (laughs) And I'm like, Mom, of all the wrestlers out there, you like him? (laughs) (laughs) That guy? Well, here's something else, though, dude, is that uh, in the dressing room afterwards, you were sitting in the trainer's room, and you asked the same question, because we were all in there, and you asked me, where's my mom? And I didn't want to say, I said, uh, she's, you know, she'll be here later or whatever. Just don't worry about your mom right now because you just legitimately thought, well, my mom's, my mom's going to be here. Like, and it's really scary when someone gets that type of, con- of a concussion where it's, it's real. Like, well, she's coming. It's like, I'm talking, like, dude, right. there's no way you really think that, but you do. And I remember Vince was kind of mulling around. I was like, Vince, you get your ass in there and you say thank you to every single guy because everybody's dead. I mean, you were hurt and Spike was hurt. And I remember I fell right off the damn ladder and hit the stairs and we were all messed up. And as you get in there and shake everybody, I was so like, not mad at him, but just like he was just wandering, like, get in there and, and, and give your respects to the guys that just, you know, threw down for you like that. The first, that, the first. TLCs went so perfectly and were so good that I thought at that point they started taking the TLCs for granted. Yes. Like, these guys can pull this off, no problem. Let's just write it into a Raw show. Yeah. Well, you know, and no, I don't think, and you know, unless you've been involved in it, you don't know how not only physically grueling the matches, but mentally. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's probably mentally the most challenging match ever because not only do you have to remember everything you're going to do, you need to know everything yeah. that everybody else is going to do because if they screw up or something happens, like That's right. me getting the concussion... You have to walk your, you know, you, you know, your fellow, you know, wrestler yeah. through everything. Because if one domino goes down in that match, everything goes down. And that's and that's the reason why. I mean, you know, we were laughing about you getting the concussion and, and things happen, and it, you know, you feel bad about it. But it's like, listen, we got to keep going. So thankfully, I did know what you yep. were supposed to do, as I'm sure you knew what my spots were in case to to run through it. You know, and those, I think too. Uh, I'll take I'll I mean, you guys for sure, but take a little credit. And it was the guys involved in those matches. Why they were always so damn good? Oh, absolutely! Because it was the same. You know, it started with Hardys, Dudleys, and uh, Edge and Christian. But then maybe Hardys were out, and it was Dudleys and Edge and Christian, or maybe it was Dudleys. But it was like kind of a a revolving door where, as long as there was a couple of you guys in there, and you know some other guys that had some mindset, you could continue the ball rolling. You know, the first time they threw other guys in was TLC three. We always talk about, we laugh about the forgotten TLC, the one in Anaheim. Anaheim. It was TLC three where you and Benoit that's right were involved, and that was the night after Hunter Torres quad. So they had to rewrite the whole show, and this was back in the days when they used to write the show a week in advance. So they had to throw that together last minute. I remember we landed in Anaheim, and they said, "You guys have a TLC tonight. Go straight to the ring and start working on it." Yep. Like what? On, on, was that Katie Vick night too? I think Katie Vick night was in Vegas. Was after, okay. Okay, that was t- t- okay. Tell, tell, tell that one. No, I don't even. I don't even remember. Oh. I, I thought it might have been. 
Well, no, the story was is that they did this ridiculous necrophilia story, which is so, I mean, the WWE is just nuts, the stuff that we had to go through. And we went and did this TLC match where we were just busting each other's asses, and it was a great, great match. But at the end of it, just as the show was ending, Kane won by himself, because remember, they kicked Hurricane out of the match. Right. Hunter comes out and goes, Kane, you might have won the match, but I know that you used to, you know, I don't know, whatever, used to have a girlfriend, and she's dead. You're a necrophiliac or something stupid like that, where it was just like, you're going to put us in there for 25 minutes and then have that be the last image yeah. people see? I was so mad about that. That, that, that Yeah, that hurt. That definitely hurt. So. You know, but I mean, that's like we were talking about just uh, kind of all the, you know, all the blood, sweat and tears that you have to shed in these matches. But you always you always had that attitude because of your of your upbringing in the business. Uh, you came from the from. You know, we're kind of the last of a, of, a, of a generation. We came through the ranks, so that by the time you got to the WWE, you realized just how damn special it was to be there, and how uh, you couldn't take it for granted. We know? did not have a sense of entitlement. No, like a lot of younger wrestlers and the younger generation of people in, general, in general have. You know, they feel like they're you know um, you know that they belong on TV. They deserve to be on TV. No, yeah, you, you got it wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and uh, you know, we knew what it was like to work for 50 bucks or work for, you know, a hot dog and orange juice, which is what I got paid for a match once. But t- we were kind of, we were talking about your, about the early days of your career, and then we got off into, as I'm sure it's going to happen many times during this conversation. But when you decided you wanted to get into the business, like for me, like I didn't know what to do. Like I want to be a wrestler, but how? Like there's no internet and... I think I maybe read the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp in the back of a magazine or something, and then you know what I mean. So, how did you figure out where you could go to train? I'll try. I'll try to give you the whole, the whole story so you understand and your listeners so they get a you know better grasp of this. I knew I always wanted to do it, but much like you, had no idea where to go, what to do. I remember as a kid calling you know information and you know getting the number for Stanford, Connecticut for the WWE headquarters and asking the operator, "How do I be did a pro? Really? Yeah, um, <laughs> how how do I be a pro wrestler?" And they would say, well, you have to send your tape to J.J. Dillon, you know, wow, yeah. because back in the day, J.J., you know, ran everything. And uh, and I would ask, um, does this match have to be in a ring or can I do it in my grass, in my backyard? <laughs> you know, I had no clue yeah. how to go about this. I was about 16 years old and my family opened up a uh, catering facility and my uncle hired two security guys to work uh, work there. One guy's name was Brian Donahue, mm-hmm. who was an uh, enhancement guy back in the 80s for WWE, and another guy's name was Mark Tenler. Mark Tenler's claim to fame was he was the mass superstar like twice. But of course he told me he was the mass superstar who worked with, you know, Stan the Man Shazia sure. right. and traveled all up and down the East Coast. And, and of course, when I met Bill Eady and I went, you're not the mass superstar. <laughs> so um, he had a wrestling school. And I remember going to his wrestling school one day. And it was in his garage. And the ring ropes were, uh, I, I, I don't even know what kind of, just rope. Just mm-hmm. rope tied around like a water pipe. And taped to the walls and, yeah. like you know, twine, gym, yeah. Yeah, twine, gym mats on the floor. And it was just, you know, and there's some guy in the ring, some disheveled looking homeless guy with leaves in his hair. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I was like, what kind of wrestling school is this? What kind of, you know, losers are they, you know, training here? This guy's not a pro wrestler. He's a, he's a sack of crap. Right. Years later, I come to learn that that sack of crap was Mick Foley. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mick had trained at Mark's a couple of times. 
Um, so I, I did you ever tell Mick that? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So um, I never uh, I never went to Mark's school because I was totally you know unimpressed. Um, and then a couple, maybe another year or so went by, and I wound up meeting this guy. I, I don't even want to say his name, and only because I'm on your show will I even say this. But I think this. Let me go on record. This guy is a piece of sh- mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So I wound up meeting a guy named Sonny Blaze. Mm-hmm. And Sonny Blaze was an enhancement guy for the WWE back in the day. And he says, okay, listen, I'm going to bring you to Johnny Rods. I'll introduce you to Johnny. He's got the most reputable, reputable wrestling school. Takes me down to Johnny's. Meet Johnny. Johnny says he's going to train me. But Johnny lived an hour away from where I was. But I was still willing to drive into Brooklyn every day, go to Gleason's where a lot of other famous pro wrestlers had trained. No problem. I'm going to do it. He told me the price. And you were in Long Island, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hour away. It's a long way. So... This guy, Sonny, turns around. He says, listen, I got an idea. Instead of this, I've always wanted to open up my own wrestling school. He goes, not only do I own my own WWE ring, but I'm friends with Terry Garvin, who was an office guy back Mm in the WWE back in the day. Mm -hmm. And he said, and I want to open up the wrestling school five minutes from your house. And I'm going to start my own promotion. And when I start my own promotion, I'm going to make you my first world heavyweight champion. Filling my head. With when you're a kid, you just a, think, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And we all got it back right. in Right. And days. he was starting negotiations with HBO, and he had his own, you know, yeah. the whole nine yards. Sold me on the whole bag of goods. <laughs> so I give, you know, I give him my $2,500 to go to wrestling school, which I borrowed from the loan sharks. You know. Wow. That's how bad I wanted to go to wrestling school. Went to the loan sharks, borrowed $2,500. So get to wrestling school my first day. Mind you, back in the day, I'm 400 pounds. Okay? I'm a big boy. Were you back always in the big, day. like in high school uh, yeah, and everything? Yeah, yeah. always. In high school, I was 275, went to college, did the yeah, whole college yeah, yeah. thing, and just ballooned up. So I was 400 pounds, but I was always athletic, could always, you know, always knew I wanted to be a wrestler. So day one in wrestling school, there I am in a 20 by 20 WWE ring in this brand new wrestling school. There's my trainer, Sonny, sitting there. He's smoking a cigarette in a folding chair. He looks up at me and he goes, okay, what do you want to learn? <laughs> and of course... <laughs> The first thing out of my mouth was drop kicks. <laughs> so there I am, day one in wrestling school, learning drop kicks. Wow. I'd be the Not- first one to tell you that I was trained so, so, so bad. I was never trained the right way in the business. I'm not really technically good in the ring. Let me know a little secret. Here. <laughs> my, my claim to fame is this. Those smoke and mirrors that we hear so much about, <laughs> I have mastered the art of using them. <laughs> now, but you have a wrestling school yeah. now, right? Yeah. Me and Devon opened up a school. So anyway, I went to Sonny's school. Yeah. I only went there for a year. And I like this. I, now I say that the business trained me, mm-hmm. you know, going on the road, wrestling in the Indies, like IWCCW back in the Northeast for the Savoldis for five years. I and- remember when I was working in Calgary, at a, at a, I just trained and I was working at a gym. And the, and the big thing was that it's satellite TV. And I used to watch. ICCW with Curly Mo, the big, yeah, yep, he's yep, like doing yep. like a Curly Three yep, Stooges gimmick, yep. yeah. Yep. So I started with them and, you know, just by being around guys and trying to learn from all the right guys, you know, so I kind of, the business really, really trained me. What was me. your name back then? <laughs> Mongo Vile. <laughs> and here's my great Mongo Vile story. So I'm working for IWCCW. I'm just doing jobs there. And one day we're at in Piscataway, New Jersey at the Polish American Club. And um, Taz is doing. Uh, Taz needed a manager, so they brought in this guy named Dirty Deeds Darren Wise mm-hmm. to be his manager. He's supposed to be this great talker. 
Well, 40 takes later, he couldn't get out his lines, and they were all frustrated. So Tommy Savoldi comes up to me. I'm sorry, let me go back one second. Tony Atlas was sitting there watching the promos, and Tony Atlas goes, Hey, Tommy, see that boy over there? That boy over there? And he's pointing at me. He goes, Let him talk. He a good talker. (laughs) Now, Tony Atlas had never heard me talk in my life. Why did he say that then? Because... The a week earlier, we were performing at a high school, and Tony brought me into the girls' locker room and told me to find any girl sneaker I possibly could, size eight to nine. <laughs> Tony has a famous foot fetish. Yep. So that's why I was a good talker because I helped him find sneakers. Well, you so, paid the favor. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So he said, "Yeah, let him talk." So Tommy Savoldi comes up to me, goes, "Okay, kid, what's your name?" I said, "Mongo Vile, sir." He goes. That's the sh. He goes <laughs> from now on. Uh, you're uh, you're the Terminator. <laughs> I just looked at him, and I'll never forget going. Oh, that's so much better, <laughs> so much better. But I was like, yes, sir, I'm the Terminator, and uh, I was Taz's manager, mm-hmm. and uh, did that, and little by little, thing you know, the ball started rolling. I started you know working more with IWCCW, and then. One day, a couple of my friends dared me to go to Middletown, New York, to go see ECW. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget working in the bars in New York. And, you know, ECW used to come on TV at 2 o'clock in the morning on the Sunshine Network. And I could never hear the volume because it was in a loud bar, but I'd always watch. And I would be, what is this crap? <laughs> this is the worst pro wrestling I've ever seen in my life. There's a guy coming to the ring smoking a cigarette? <laughs> Drinking a beer? <laughs> what, what is this? Why is his entrance so long? I would never lower my standards to ever wrestle for a company like that. And lo and behold. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to Bully Ray for an amazing interview. We got part two coming up later on this week on Friday. So much more to talk about. Uh, getting ready to finish up the Lights Go Out tour. I'll just to let you know where I'm going to be at. Uh, Wednesday night, May 28th, we have a listening party for the new Fozzie record at Idle Hands in New York City down in Manhattan. Show up for this. I will be there. Fozzie will be there. And you get to hear the whole new Fozzie record. Uh, for free, and you get to check it out months before anybody else hears it. You do not want to miss it. It's an amazing, amazing piece of work. We're very, very excited about it. And then on May 30th, we're at the Paramount in Huntington, New York. That's Long Island area with Buck Cherry. And then the next day, Saturday, May 31st, at Xfinity Live in Philadelphia. The first time Fozzie's ever played in Philadelphia. Also with Buck Cherry. It's been a great tour with those guys. If you're in Long Island or Philly, you got to come down and check out the show. You will love it. June 14th, main stage at Download. So excited for that show. It's the biggest show of our career, and we are ready to tear the damn place down. Plus, on June 12th and June 15th, London is Jericho in London, England at Leicester Square. Go online and look for tickets now. There are still tickets available, but there's only a few left. Google London is Jericho at Leicester Square Theater in London in the U.K., all my friends need to come on down and check it out. You can also find all that information on the Twitter at I am Jericho and on the Facebook Chris Jericho. So once again, I want to thank Bully Ray. We'll have him back again on Friday. 
and we will also see what's going on with Egypt. He's going to be here to give me his predictions for the payback WWE pay-per-view. So thanks for checking it out. I know there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts for you to choose from, but also thanks for using my Amazon link every time you do your online shopping. It's really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page, then click on Talk is Jericho, and you'll see all three of my Amazon links in the UK, US, and Canada. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No hidden extra fees, no hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done and you're helping me out and yourself out in the process. Help me help you. People! So we'll see you on Friday. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. Part two of my conversation with Bully Ray coming up in a couple days. See you then. God bless you and yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.